eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. The following is a presentation of Radio.com Sports. Radio.com Sports presents Big Time Baseball, Players Edition. Man, that ball get out of here in a hurry. Taking you inside the clubhouse for the biggest stories across the game with former major leaguers. Bellinger swings, high fly ball down the line. Off of the Featuring ex-outfielder turned Radio.com sports insider and San Diego Padres analyst Tony Gwynn Jr. They're not going to be pushed around at any point, regardless of what their record is. And former catcher turned Radio.com sports insider and Philadelphia Phillies analyst Ben Avis. It's very alarming. I had them right about 500. It's all on Radio.com sports big time baseball players edition. Welcome to another edition of big time baseball. Presented here on Radio.com Sports. This is the Players Edition. Alongside Tony Gwynn Jr., I am Ben Davis. It's funny because Ben and I go way back. Ben was a teammate of my father uh, in 2001. And I, I've, me and Ben go way back, uh, so to speak. So uh, it's, it's a lot of fun doing this show with them. Yeah, absolutely. And, and get to dig in some top stories of baseball. Yeah. And we'd like to give you a breakdown of the games and biggest headlines from our perspective as former major leaguers. And this week, we each week we try to get a guest, and this week we're very fortunate to have Los Angeles Dodgers manager Dave Roberts, and he will be joining us later. So he's a guy that I played against and uh, have a ton of respect for, and he's doing a great job out there in L.A. with that ball club. Uh, Big Time Baseball Players Edition is a part of Radio.com, which allows you to listen to your favorite radio stations for free, anytime, anywhere. And you're able to listen to over 300 stations and over 1,100 podcasts. Explore by location or genre to find music, news, and sports from your favorite location or across the country. You can follow Radio.com Sports on Twitter at RDC Sports. Let's get right into it, Tony. There's uh, lots to talk about. We we got uh, tons going on in the game as we near the All-Star break, and it's hard to believe that we're even talking about the All-Star break. This season is flying by. And, um, you know, there's, there's... a lot going on. People are moving everywhere. And one one guy in particular that I'd like to talk about, 
And we have one guy in Albert Pujols, right, that finally, finally made it back to St. Louis, the city that, that he won a couple of World Series with, uh, the team that he won a couple of World Series with. And the city is, he's absolutely loved in the city of St. Louis. And he finally made it back with the Anaheim Angels after eight seasons. And he was able to get back to to uh, St. Louis. And boy, what a rounding applause they gave him last week. And um, and this week we have Manny Machado, who was able to get back to Baltimore after just leaving there last year. So uh, what's your take on what it's like for these guys to go back to a city, to two cities that meant so much, not only to them, but to the city themselves? I would imagine that, especially in Albert Pujols' case, I would imagine that it meant a whole lot to him. I mean, you spend a a good portion of your career in one place, especially a place like St. Louis, because St. Louis' fans are notorious for having a a certain type of appreciation uh, for players, whether they're wearing a Cardinal uniform or not. Um, Albert Pujols comes back. And it's rare that a guy, uh, especially in today's game, does has to wait so long before going back to a place uh, that you know they they've played for a lot of their career. And in and in Albert, I think it was what eight years, nine years before he was able to return back to St. Louis. But you know, as they say, time heals all. And it was clear, I mean, the entire series. It wasn't like he came up the first at bat, he got a standing ovation, and everything kind of went back to normal. Every single at bat he had in that series, he got a standing ovation. He also hit a home run in the second game of the series. So I think you could see it in his face, you could see it in his in his family's face, that that was, I think his wife said it was the biggest moment she's ever experienced in his entire career. And this is Albert yeah. Pujols a certain Hall of Famer that we're talking about. Uh, I think that speaks volumes. And then on Manny Machado's, it's funny because it only took him a few months to get back yeah. to Baltimore where he left. Exactly. And, and you know, we, we, we actually had had a, a one, of, a one of their radio guys, uh, Jerry Coleman, on our show, and he said um, that he thought there was going to be a mixed reaction. And if you watch yesterday's game, it was nothing like that. He got a lot of – he got a standing ovation in his first at bat. He would also go deep in his second at bat. And I think for for Manny, as he got closer to this day yesterday, um, you could start to sense that it, it meant a great deal to him. He he said as much, and you could see it in as he tipped his hats to the fans of Baltimore. That you know sometimes it it takes a little bit, but for him, uh, it was clear that having the 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 love from the Baltimore fans uh, meant a great deal to him. Yeah, and, and just from a obviously I wasn't near. I wouldn't even put myself in the same arena, the same state as Pujols or Machado. But I remember when the first time I went back to San Diego after having spent parts of four years in San Diego, I get traded to Seattle and then I go back to, to San Diego for interleague game. And it was it was I wouldn't say it was nerve wracking, but I was very anxious to yeah. get the game started because, you know, better than anybody, Tony, once the game starts, that's when you put, can kind of put your mind at ease. It's all the stuff that leads up to it, you know, before that, talking with fans and media and press and, and seeing your old teammates. That's the part that's kind of strenuous. But once the game starts, that's when you kind of can put your put your mind at ease. But you still want to go back there and beat their butts, you know what I mean? It's like, <laughs> hey, you traded me away. Well, I want to, I want to get the best of you. So uh, you have that aspect as well that you really want to realize that, hey, maybe you made yeah. a mistake. 
but um, but yeah, I mean, for those guys to go back to those respective cities, it it means a lot to them, and and to just for the fans to get to see them again because yeah. they meant so much, and especially in the case of Albert Pujols, because yes, he was a phenomenal player and still is a phenomenal player, but what he did off the field, I right. think, is what, something that I think that kind of flies under the radar because of the great guy he is and all the charities that he gave to. He always made himself. Uh, available, and I think that's one thing that the fans can really associate with because they he, he always made time for the fans, and that's one thing I think that that they really really appreciate. And uh, you know, talk about heading home, and this is the guy that that I was got to see every day last year in Philadelphia in Carlos Santana, and it just didn't go very well for him here last year. He hit 229. Uh, he only had 24 home runs and 86 RBIs. And this was a guy that Matt Klintak here in Philadelphia went out and got and paid a handsome uh, fee for, three-year deal. And for whatever reason, it just didn't click for him here in Philadelphia. Now he's back in Cleveland, and he is absolutely raking. I mean, he's hitting two, currently hitting 290 with 18 home runs and 48 RBIs. He only needs 40 more hits to, to, to equal what he had last year. And this is just something, do you think it's more of a, just a comfort level? Is it the clubhouse? Is it the city? Is it the American League Central? What can you associate that with? Because that is a drastic rise in batting average. I think, I think it's a little bit of all of that, right? It has to be because I, I always felt like guys should pay more attention to their surroundings when they are uh, familiar. Because I think too many times guys think the grass is greener on the other side, so to speak, and and you forget about all of the, the comforts you have in the place that you're at. So, you know, not only is the clubhouse familiar uh, for, for a guy like, like Santana, but, you know, it went, once he changes from Cleveland to Philly last year, it's a new clubhouse, and it largely is a, is a new team, uh, and that's for everybody who was in that clubhouse. Also, it's a new league, and I think people overlook that because you know nowadays everything is kind of we play so much interleague. It, it's 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 old hat for some, but the part part of that makes you a good hitter is the familiarity you have with your opponent. And if yeah. you're facing brand new pitchers, if you've seen them a couple times, it's not the same as running through the American League where you've been at your entire career. And, and you've got a chance to to know how guys are going to pitch you, uh, what they what they are trying to attack, and, and how to you know to 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 have your approach against them. When you go to a new league, and Manny Machado has experienced a little bit of this uh, in the National League, coming from the American League uh, last year, and I know he played for the Dodgers for a couple months, but that's not the same. It, 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 he's still it, it, he's still learning these guys in the National League, and I would. I would say that the reason why you started to see him have an uptick is because he started the learning curve last year when he went to L.A., but it takes some time right. to get some familiarity with, with the, the, your opponent. So I think that plays a big part. I also think it's a comfort dude. Baseball players are notorious for being creatures of habit, right? And when you change your habits and you're having to learn a new routine, a new route to the stadium, all that plays into, I think, your performance. For some guys, it doesn't affect them, but for most – it does, and I think Carlos Santana being back in Cleveland uh, is really uh, is really you know kind of exemplifies that. You know, he he's back into his normal surroundings, a manager he's played for before, uh, teammates he's had. So all of that plays into it, and now you're going to have a sense of comfort. 
You just focus on the game of baseball now. We're, when you was in Philly last year, there's a whole lot of new things coming at him. And, and listen, Carlos is, is a Carlos Santana is a, a reason why you've seen this Cleveland uh, Indian team start to to play better after really being stuck in the mud to start the season, Ben. Yeah, and their their offense is starting to come alive. Their starting pitching is starting to come alive. You still hear some trade rumors, but if I'm Cleveland, I'm still I'm I'm hanging in there. I really am because I know that the the Twins are kind of running away with that American League Central as well. They should that lineup is as potent as anybody's. But we know what offenses can do. Uh, they can they can go into slumps and they can last a while. You know, offense is so contagious. Hitting is so contagious. And if that offense starts to dip a little bit, um, I think you might see Cleveland make a push here. Uh, call me crazy. I know that the standings sh- shouldn't suggest that. But if you look at it, the Indians still have a lot of those pieces that makes them so strong and have made them so competitive over the years. Obviously, Tito Francona knows what he's doing at the helm there. Uh, He's never going to give up. He'll he'll be the first one to tell you that. Um, But this is a a ball club, I think, that they can can sneak up on the Twins. If if any team can do it, they they can score runs in bunches, and we know about that pitching. I think if their bullpen holds up, I think they're definitely – have a chance to make a run at it. Um, but getting back to Santana for a second, it's, it's you know, you look at, we get to see, all, he's on the highlights a lot because he's producing so much. And I'm looking at the swing that I saw last year, and I'm looking at the swing I see this year. They're identical. And it's not like he's changed a whole lot. He hasn't, you know, it's from both sides of the plate. He's been really good. He's been solid. But the swing, well, I saw his work ethic last year. It, it, it left nothing to be desired. I mean, this guy was working his tail off every day. So you know that's still going to be there. But from a, from a technical standpoint, I don't see anything different. And I think you're right, Tony. I think it's just a, a matter of him being familiar with the surroundings and going out there and not really. It is a different atmosphere. Philly and Cleveland, obviously, uh, this is a big-time market here in Philly. And some, some players... I, I wouldn't say cower to the pressure, but they don't know how to handle it as well. Uh, I think it might be a little bit more laid back in Cleveland in the American League Central, but I'm happy for him. He's a hard worker. He's a great guy, and it's nice to see him really, really moving forward and, and having a great year. And hopefully he can make his first ever All-Star yeah. game. And he said he'd love for that to happen. The, the All-Star game is there in Cleveland. If that were to happen, that'd be a big, big spot in his career. Ben, I don't know about you, but I, I, I actually found it to be – uh, refreshing to hear somebody say, I dream about going to an All-Star game. You know, it's too mm-hmm. many times you see, it feels like the All-Star game is becoming old hat, right? You get guys that, who are kind of ho-hum about it, but it just seems like he's really excited. I, I remember hearing him speak last year while he was in Philly, talk, breaking down the differences between the National League and American League. And if I, if I recall this correctly, he was saying that, uh, in the American League, a lot more breaking balls you get. You get a lot more breaking balls when uh, you're behind in the, when pitchers are behind in the count. And you've seen a little bit more of it in the National League this year, but he was saying that it was way more fastballs, uh, top of the zone, that he remembered seeing in the American League. Now, as we talk about the All-Star break coming up in Cleveland, and again, I can't believe we're even talking about the All-Star game. Where is Crazy. this season going? It's hard to believe. But a lot of players look at it as – as just, oh, why do I have to go there? I think to be named to the All-Star game is one of the most important things in baseball for, from a player's perspective. You're getting selected amongst all others that you, all the others in the world, to have a chance to represent your ball club, yourself, your family, uh, your city in an All-Star game, I think is the biggest honor there is. And for players not to want to go or not participate, 
I think is a travesty because it's the biggest honor you can get bestowed upon you, I think, other than going to William, uh, going to, to Cooperstown. Um, and, you know, for these players, I, it's nice to hear Carlos Santana say, I want to go to an all-star game. And for guys that get a chance to do it every year, I don't see how that could ever get old. I never made an all-star game. I wouldn't have turned that down for anything if I ever had the opportunity. I, I went to a lot of them with my father who went to 15 of them, and he enjoyed every one of them. And I, I think it's also important to realize that you've been selected, and especially the starters, by the fans, right? You, you, that, is, that should be the ultimate honor. People around the country thought that you were good enough to be one of the to one of the best at your position to represent your specific league, and, and, and so it's it's more than just representing yourself, your family, your organization. Uh, you'd like to see guys have a little more intensity too uh, during the game because I, I think that's for, for for a long time that's what kept that All Star game so interesting to people was that you got to see the best matchups and the best uh, against uh, against the against face one another and. Uh, I think interleague play has kind of hurt that, especially doing it on an everyday basis. It's it went from you know a couple months out of the year you'd have a, a, a like a two week stint, three week stint where you're playing the other league. Now it's happening every day, and so those matchups that you know you used to get in an all star game aren't as exciting because you've probably seen them already o- over the course of the season. So uh, I, I, that's the only bad part I think that we have with interleague play, or at least the way that we're doing it now. Um, I think it kind of hurts the all-star game a little bit. I, I, I would also like to see uh, it go back to be seeing being more American League umpires, National League umpires. I think that also helps the game you're getting a different look you're, it's everything's new almost when you go that route and you know the way the game is played today you just don't get that opportunity we have everything at our disposal right I mean uh, you can pull up a matchup uh, of, of you know Mike Trout facing off against Clayton Kershaw you've seen it you've seen it on mm-hmm. multiple t- uh, occasions so uh, I would like to see guys just play with a little more intensity I know uh, the game is for a lot of these guys. There's the middle of the season. They would like a break, uh, but again, you just got to remember it, it's an honor to be able to go to one of these All Star games. And for some guys, it, it might be their one and only shot to do it. So, right, and that's why you could appreciate a guy like Carlos Santana uh, saying that he dreams about going. Like that, that's the thing that he wants to do the most. And, and, and so, uh, you just want to see that pick back up. You want guys yeah. going there, playing hard, and, and and just seeing how how the chips fall in those games. Yeah, absolutely. I, I know we like to keep everything current and relative to, to the game, but touching on a, an all-star story that I had, I was very fortunate to play in the first game ever at Safeco Field, and mm-hmm. that was July 15, 1999. And, you know, you go away to the all-star break, and you, you might travel somewhere or whatever, and you might meet the team after the all-star break. If you're on the road, you might meet them in that respective city. So I pack my, my, pack my bag for the all-star break, and I go wherever I go. I meet the team in Seattle, and we'll go back to play the first game. And I open my bag up, and I go out and I take BP, go through the normal things, and I'm getting ready, you know, for the game. I come back in from BP, and I said, "Oh no, I don't have spikes." And I said, <laughs> "I don't." First of all, how do you forget your spikes, right? Like it's it's like forgetting yeah. your glove. So I'm you like, "What? Are, where are my spikes?" And I start panicking. And your father goes, he throws me a box, and he goes, "Here, wear these." And your dad and I wore the same size, size 11, and. Right. I didn't think anything of it. So I get the box. I put it in my locker. I go back, get my ankles taped. I put my stirrups on, and I get ready. I open the box up. Uh, they're patent leather all-star spikes. 
And, and it was the last All-Star game your father went to. And I open up and I start like panicking. I go, T, I can't wear these. He goes, ah, he goes, I got 15 other pair. <laughs> you know what? Because that that's another cool part, right? Is that it used to be you go to All-Star game, whatever your specific shoe was that you wore, they, mm-hmm. they, they, they basically made it up, put it on steroids, right? So yeah. my dad had this, this shoe where he'd have uh, like 5.5 on the tongue. Yep. That was like his yep. thing. And so for the All-Star game, they made the entire shoe with that 5.5 logo on the tongue. So oh, I actually I remember the pair of shoes that he threw to you because I was in the locker room as he threw them. And I remember you saying, I told, T, I can't wear these. And my dad going, man, just take the shoes, put them on. You don't have anything. So, else, so. And I was, you know, being a rookie, that I was a rookie that year. And I'm, and you t- talk about taking a ribbing. Oh, Davis is All-Stars place. <laughs> I go up to bat, my first at bat. And Dan Wilson looks down and he goes, nice spikes, Davis. <laughs> <laughs> and I had to wear them, and thankfully, I think the the um, you know Tony Patrick or Tony uh, Patrika or, or uh, uh, what got someone got the some spikes overnighted for me. But I remember I, I cleaned them up and I got them back to your dad, and I'm like, thanks T for helping me out. But I took a ribbing that night, and it's like it's one of those all. Every time I think of the All Star Game, I see spikes. I think of that story. Your daddy just tosses me the box, and like, and I didn't open them until right before game. And I was like, oh no, this is not. Yeah, at good. that point, but, you couldn't turn them down. You had to get get ready for the game. <laughs> No. Um, you, you, wait, real quick. I, I want to share this this All Star story. This was one of my favorite moments going to an All Star game with my dad. And in, in 1998, it was in Colorado, and the Padres had like five All Stars that year. Mm-hmm. And it's it's right after uh, or in between the the batting practice and home run derby. Everybody's in the locker room, kind of signing autographs, doing doing their their requirements for the All Star game, and. This All-Star game, and I distinctly remember a few names. Kurt Schilling, Daryl Kyle, Barry Bonds, Barry Larkin, my dad. And there was, I guarantee there was a few more others. But it it became like a roundtable of these great players talking about what made each other tick. Like how Kurt Schilling tried to get Barry Bonds out. And Barry replying, oh, I know that you're trying to do that to me. This is why I do this. And this is, I, I was, I was what, 16 at the time? I'm sitting at this table like, I cannot believe that I'm sitting in front of these dudes while they're having this particular conversation, one of the most fascinating conversations I've ever been a part of. And that's what these guys may miss out on, right? They, this is why you go, because you're going to be surrounded by guys who are just as good uh, as you are. And maybe you might learn something about yourself being there. And, and I, I just I needed to share that because it's one of the best All-Star moments I've ever experienced, considering I never made an All-Star game. Heck yeah. I mean, how could you ever forget that? <laughs> Go sit around those guys. That is something else. Uh, moving along, we're, we, I mentioned, uh, you know, right now the, the Phillies are in the midst of going through some different things. And we're talking about, you know, the Phillies just had a seven-game losing streak. And there's some, some managers in this division that are taking a lot of heat right now, one of those being Mickey Calloway uh, with the Mets. And Mickey is under a lot of scrutiny. You know the way that the New York media can be, the, the way the press can be. And yeah. he recently had a tirade where he went off on one of the reporters, and then his one of his players, Jason Vargas, went off on the same reporter, um, both having to issue apologies. Uh, I, I'm un, un, under the impression that, listen, if someone gets under your skin, you're allowed to call them out. I mean, you don't have to be a jerk about it, but if you don't like what someone is saying about you, you don't like what somebody is writing about you, and if this is going on for long long period, I think you have every right to voice your opinion. Uh, again, try and keep it professional, 
but you know you don't want to cross that line but if it's, if it gets to that point where you need feel like you need to speak up then have at it yeah no i listen i agree and here's the thing right when you're when you're when you're on a on a big league club you have uh you have beat writers that cover you on an everyday basis and you know the report was uh, the reporter said something along the lines of, all right, I'll see you tomorrow, Mickey. And Mickey supposedly took offense to that. I promise you that it wasn't just as black and white as, I'll see you tomorrow, and Mickey Calloway just going off. Like, it, this is beat writer. You've covered him every day. There's something going on there that probably escalated that, where that, that particular sentence may have meant uh, a little bit more than it appears in writing. And I also say this, that, uh, when you are a professional, you do have a standard of of being able to to, I don't know, kind of navigate these situations without tempers flaring or not even without temper because tempers are going to flare without you know getting into a physical tussle. Now, I I would say Mickey Callaway has every right to protect himself and to go back at the reporter, but I'd also say that Jason Vargas, you got to know better, right? You you can't tell somebody you're going to beat them down and not expect that there's going to be an issue with it. So right. I, I, I think there's a fine line. You, you do need to be able to protect yourself and, the, you know, to pop back if you feel like you've been wrong. But at the same time, anytime you're talking physical or it gets physical, you can expect there's going to be a, a, an issue with that, and, and it's probably going to be a, a problem for you. Yeah. But how come we as, we as a society, I think, we always point – at the manager, right? It's always the right. manager's fault. It's always the manager's fault. He's right in the wrong lap. It, at some point, you have to look, you have to step back and say, okay, why are we pointing at the manager? Oh, he needs to get fired. This guy needs to get fired. Or this guy's under a lot of scrutiny. But the bottom line is, we say the manager, how much are they really into? I think the, the, the way you can win or lose ball games for the most part, is how you handle your bullpen. Yes. And for the most part, you're, you're going to handle that bullpen okay. Um, you're, or you're good at some guys are really good at. It. I think Bruce Bochy is the best at it I've ever seen. But it's always the manager's fault. Why did he put this guy in the lineup? You have certain guys on your team. They know what to do. And in case like with the with the definitely with the Nationals, the Mets, and the Phillies, whose three managers are all under scrutiny, there's pretty much a, a a veteran ball clubs that they all have. These guys know what to do. They know if they're in a slump. They've been in slumps before. They know how to get themselves out of it. Why is it the manager's fault to get you know, Bryce Harper out of a slump or, or Anthony Rendon out of a slump or Robinson Cano out of a slump? Why is that the manager's duty to do so? Ben, it drives me absolutely crazy because it just depends on what the, what the sentiment is around the particular team, right? It could be a manager that the city loves, the fans love, then it's going to be on the players. And that's probably where it should be. But then there's going to be other situations where a city, the fans may not like the manager. Media may not like the particular manager. And guess what? That's when it becomes the manager's fault. And and to me, it's crazy because at the, at the end of the day, the manager can write the lineup. Uh, he can put you in the best positions to succeed. But ultimately, the players got to go out and perform. This is a performance-based business. And if you're not performing, generally speaking, you don't stay. You know, they say the saying goes, it's easy to get to the big league. It's hard to stay. And the mm-hmm. reason that is is because guys got to perform on a consistent basis, on an everyday basis. This season is 162 games long. You can't have long lulls at this level. You just can't or you won't make it. And it, 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 it just blows me away that – 
you make a, a, a coach, a manager, or make a pitching change, the right pitching change, the pitcher won't get the job done, and it's the manager's fault for putting him in. Whereas mm-hmm. if he doesn't make that same move and the team loses, it's the manager's fault for not putting him in. So it, it, it's it's a lose lose a lot of times for managers. I think you hit it on the head. At the end of the day, players play. Players have to perform, and when they don't, usually the coaches, the manager is a casualty of that, or at least a scapegoat at times, because uh, that's just the way this game is being played, and that's how it's always been. It's, this isn't yep. this isn't anything new, right? And and uh, Mickey Calloway, listen, he's obviously in a in a in a media market where the spotlight is red hot, right? You you just you're not getting away from it, and if the team is losing. And there happens to be another team in that same city that's pretty much one of the better teams in baseball. You can bet you can bet that there's going to be some issues. I think that's what Mickey Calloway is running into. Uh, I will say this though: teams tend to mirror their manager's personality, and mm-hmm. this didn't bode well. This whole episode with Mickey Calloway and getting after the media, and it kind of reminds you a little bit of how their team plays. It's kind of up and down, helter skelter at times. Uh, they started out real well. Then I will say that that is the only time a manager can be put on the hot seat, in my opinion, is when the team starts. Because listen, as players, you feed off of that energy. If your if your manager's a nervous manager, guess what type of team you're going to be? You're going to be a mm-hmm. nervous team. And I've seen that. I've I've had that experience by my my own self. So uh, I I I would like to see that. Mickey can handle this a little bit better next time, but the fact that he issued an apology, I think, is, is is a step in the right direction for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, you have managers that, for whatever reason, don't use the bullpen well. The Phillies were supposed to break camp with eight guys coming out of their bullpen, right? Well, seven of those eight guys have been has spent stints on the IL. That's another and thing. It's another thing. Like, you can't control injuries, and injuries are a part of the game. What I'm getting back to is as how are those injuries Gabe Kapler's fault? You know, and it's it's one of those things and they're starting to get some pieces back, some 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 health concerns. Some of these guys are starting to get healthy and come back again. And when they do, they're gonna be very good. And all of a sudden Gabe Kapler's gonna be the genius who <laughs> who runs the bullpen. And that's the that's the thing that I don't get. You know, it, it's just one of those things that um, you gotta live with it. You, it I think as a manager you gotta take it as it comes and and um, just try and deal with it the best you can. But if you get in some cities that that are the, where the media likes to beat it down, and, and you know, you talk about the the Mets, uh, you know, the talk about the Yankees. Well, oh, they're doing great. Well, there's got to be something bad to say in the city. Oh, let's let's talk about Mickey Calloway. And I think that's where it is right now. So, um, you know, what are you going to do about that? But uh, moving on and talking about IL and guys coming off the IL, we have a couple uh, big names, and I mean. Big names coming out in Springer coming back for the Astros and Gallo coming back for the Rangers. Uh, these are two big bats that can can carry a team. And I think uh, you look at a team like the Rangers that are that are hanging in there for a wild card. You talk about a bat that when this guy comes up, it's it's must see TV. You want to see you just. I think Gallo is one of those guys, and I'm not taking anything away from Springer, who I absolutely love uh, in that leadoff role for the Astros. But someone like Gallo. It's almost like, okay, Gallo, Joey Gallo's coming up. Is he going to hit a ball that lands on the moon? <laughs> yeah, that's, it, it, that's what kind of power this guy has. He, he's got he's got stupid power. I mean, like probably some at the top two, three guys in the league as far as just pure power, how far he can hit a baseball. Joey Gallo's in that in that category. And listen, you got to tip your hat to Joey Gallo. Joey Gallo has has been the had the most power for quite some time. 
but hitting around 200, 205, 220, and striking out a ton. Now, the strikeouts are still high, but he's hitting at like a 270 clip before he got hurt. And, and you could attribute that to uh, – you got to give some credit to that new hitting staff over there in, in Texas because they've done a terrific job with not just him but a few of those guys on the team. Mm-hmm. But Joey Gallo coming off, obviously Texas has surprised uh, baseball a little bit. They're in the thick of, of wild card talk. Uh, and then when it comes to, to, to George Springer, who I think is the most dynamic pitter player, I should say, in the American League. I mean, leadoff guy, he's got the, the, the Ricky Henderson-type pop. He can steal you a bag. He can play uh, elite defense out there. He's coming back. This is going to be a big boost for Houston, who've, who've kind of, I mean, after just coming out the gates red hot too, have kind of hit a little bit of low here lately. Uh, having a guy like that come back, I think is going to be huge for their, their lineup and getting the leadoff sock back. I, I, I think on the flip side of that, guys going on the I.L., Jordan Hicks, I mean, um, the closer for the, the Cardinals has mm-hmm. is, is, got a UCL. He's going to be done for the year. And this brings up that topic again, right? Are, 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 are human beings meant to throw 105, not name Chapman, right? Because no. it just seems like uh, we've seen a lot of these guys redline. I think I stole this from John Smoke because it's the best explanation you could possibly have. with Just like your car. when you, If you're constantly driving that car in the redline area, uh, that car is not going to last very long. And that's how – Baseball, it seems like organizations are really teaching their guys, even starters. Empty the tank, which is why mm-hmm. you'll be done in five. We'll go to the bullpen. We got enough bullpen arms out there. It's funny. I was going through the Padres uh, lineup the other day while they were playing the Pirates, and this isn't the first time I noticed it. When you get to you get to do the starting line and you get to the bench, there are so many less bench players now. And this is the National League I'm talking about, where you, mm-hmm. where your bench is important. There's so many less now because they're carrying so many more pitchers. And because they have to, because if you're going to tell a guy go out, redline it for an inning, he's not going to be useful for more than an inning a lot of times. And he's probably going to have a hard time coming back the following day. So I I just this has got to be something that I think teams start to look at. I mean, having Tommy John surgery isn't the best thing possible for you. I know guys come back throwing harder occasionally, but it doesn't guarantee you anything. And I I just think if, if you're talking about protecting assets here, why have a guy go out and redline it like that? As opposed to, why not pitch at 97, 98? It's equally as effective when you can command it. When you can command it, absolutely. And one thing I take a lot of pride in in my job is my scorecard. I love writing the scorecards, right? <laughs> and there's many, many times, many times this season that I'm only writing in the reserves. I'm writing three names, three right. bench guys. Yep. And especially in National League games with double switches and such, you know, you're going to need these guys. Most of the time you're writing five names in. But I, there's been many a time where I'm writing in three names, and you're having, you know, you're having eleven or ten guys in the bullpen. Ten guys in the bullpen. It, it's it's unbelievable to me. Um, but yeah, you're right. I mean, you come in, make a pitching change. You're you're up from one hitter, and then then you're up for another hitter, and you're up for another hitter. Just use them out. Well, that'll do it for this part of the podcast. Alongside Tony Gwynn Jr., I am Ben Davis. Now we are very lucky to introduce a very very good friend of ours, Dave Roberts, manager of the Los Angeles Dodgers. Dave Roberts, a 10-year major leaguer, including his game-tying run in 2004 that sparked the Red Sox' first World Series title in 86 years. Up the middle, Roberts will come to the plate. The throw by Williams. Bill Miller has tied it. Now, the Dodgers manager, it's Dave Roberts on Big Time Baseball, Players Edition. 
This is Big Time Baseball Players Edition presented by Radio.com Sport. Alongside Ben Davis, I'm Tony Gwynn Jr. Let's now bring on a mentor of mine, Dodgers manager Dave Roberts. Uh, A lot of you guys remember him from the World Series in 2004, still in that base that turned out to be a huge stolen base. Uh, But now he's the manager, as I said, for the Los Angeles Dodgers, his fourth season, two of his first four seasons, he's reached the World Series. Uh, I I think very highly of this guy. Dave Roberts, thank you for joining us today. Hey, Gwenny, Ben, how are you guys doing? Thanks so much for having me on. Uh, Let's just jump right into it. Your team is off to a, a red hot, I shouldn't even call it start anymore, we're almost halfway through the year, uh, and they're rolling. <laughs> uh, offensively, uh, this team is as good as it, as, as, as it gets. What, has, what have you seen from this ball club? Why has the start been so red hot uh, to, get, to get going in this season? You know what, I, I think the thing is, obviously there, there's a lot of talent and depth that we always talk about, and, and we pitch well, uh, but I think... Uh, for me, the overarching thing is there's a, a complete um, buy-in, unselfishness, a toughness, um, and a focus to win each game, you know, individually. And I think that for, for clubs, whether there's expectations or not, you know, to eliminate the expectations or noise and to just kind of get that micro-focus, we do that. And obviously our goal is to win a championship, but – you know, we can't control that today in Arizona as we try to win a series, you know. So I think that – and that kind of bleeds into every play, every at-bat. And, guys, I'll tell you, even the other night there was a play, Cody Bellinger, who's the best player in baseball right now, uh, there was a, a potential double play from the uh, 363 double play. Cody has the, the mind to run inside the baseline, to draw an errant throw to the shortstop. And those little things right there to extend the inning – are little things that we talk about and not only having the best players, but the smartest players. And that's, I mean, that's a long answer uh, to your question, Gwenny, but uh, those, all those things, I think lead to where we're at right now. You know, David, we were out there with the Phillies earlier in the season and what you're able to do with your lineup and your players, the versatility is something that we've seen a lot of teams try and get to. We've seen the Cubs do it. Obviously you guys do it out there in LA. How much easier taking a guy that can play say three different positions how much easier does that make it on you to manage a ball club and manage on a nightly basis? Well, you know, if you look at it, it, it makes it tremendously uh, easier. And, and I think that obviously when you manage and as a manager, you look at it obviously from a different lens than as a coach, as a player. And so you're looking at matchups and what gives your team the best chance to win a game and also putting your player in the best chance to have success. So when you have a roster that you can mix and match guys as far as positions you can ultimately get the matchup or you have a good chance of getting the matchup that you like. And it poses a lot of angst for opposing teams, you know, for that potential matchup. And so that uh, the positional versatility is, and also the ability to move guys around in the lineup and guys understanding that it's okay where I hit in the order. I don't have to hit in a certain part of the order. Those things also help kind of, construct the lineup and, and give you a better chance to win. Dave, I, I, I got to ask you a little bit, a two-part question here. Uh, you issued a challenge to y- your team during spring training. Guys uh, were, were a little bit, I don't know, discontent about not playing every day. And you issued a challenge. Listen, you want to play every day? 
prove it. Show me in the show me in the game that you can do both lefties, righties. It doesn't matter. You'll be in the lineup. And one guy in particular, Cody Bellinger, has stepped up. What have you seen from him? And and then you also mentioned uh, uh, that you've got 100% buy-in from your team. What does that look like? Because when you have as much depth as you guys do, uh, sometimes that can cause some discontent amongst guys. Yeah, well, I, I think that the, to answer the first question first, the last question first is, you know, the buy-in is tough because every player obviously individually wants to have their own individual success, which you have to appreciate and understand that. And that's a given. Um, but just understanding that um, at any point in time in the game, you can help us win a baseball game. And whether you're starting, that doesn't mean you're not playing. And um, just be ready when called upon. And I think for us over the last four years, we've seen it time and time again where a guy might, might be inserted in the sixth inning and impacts the game. And I think the more guys see that, they feel that they're ready, and then it could be their time when their number's called. Um, And that kind of helps the buy-in. And I I always use the phrase, keep guys relevant and current. And, and, you know, yesterday we we ran three rookies out there against Robbie Ray because I wanted to get guys to play. I wanted to give uh, Cody a day off. I wanted Max Muncie to get a day off, and we were in the midst of uh, 17 straight. So that helps the buy-in. And as far as Cody and guys, yeah, I mean, Cody's a guy we know we're better when he's in the lineup, and we knew that last year. But performance definitely does matter. And so, you know, it was something that you play well and you conduct yourself and and the at-bat quality, you're in the lineup. And so he's answered that bell, uh, obviously, tenfold. David, knowing you, the the type of person you are, the type of class that you have, I know you would never, ever take – down of credit for winning a World Series. You would always say well, it's a team effort and the coaching staff, the, the front office. You won a World Series as a player back in 2004. How much would it mean to you to win a World Series as a manager? Because not many guys get to do it. How much would that mean to you personally? Yeah, you know, um, I'll tell you, uh, being a player and doing it is one thing. But, um, yeah, when we do this thing as a, as a manager um, here in Los Angeles, I, I think that that will supersede what we did in 2004, I think. As a manager, it's just it's different. Um, I don't want to say it's more fulfilling as a player. I haven't done it yet. But uh, as far as kind of a lot of pieces to keep in line and keep focused on going in the same direction and keep things together, I think as opposed to, you know, kind of worrying about your own individual success and, and your teammates, uh, that's just different. It's, it's more broad. And so uh, after we win this thing, yeah, it's it certainly um, it takes – scouting, player development, you know, the front office, ownership. I mean, the players, the coaches, and and Ben, uh, Gwen, you know, the training stuff. I mean, that's where as a coach, as a manager, you see and appreciate all those different factions that play a part of this. And so for me, that this is going to be much more fulfilling. Dave Roberts joins us here on on Big Time Baseball Players Edition. Uh, Dave, I got to ask you uh, one hard-hitting question. And and listen, you guys have won the division, what, seven straight times, I think it is, something like that. Um, And with that, it seems like every year around this time, uh, when there's a question about the Dodgers, it revolves around the bullpen. Now, as I said, you've been there. This is your fourth season. You've gotten to the World Series twice. So I would say that it hasn't been as much of an issue as we make it on the outside looking in. But, again, now this there's percolating talk about the bullpen and, and, and how it's built to last for the, for the, the long run. How do you feel about this bullpen? I mean, you guys have been able to to have such success uh, with this bullpen that you have, and now on the outside looking in, you have people saying uh, you guys need an upgrade. I, I, where do you come down on this? 
Well, I, I think that every you're always trying to look to get better, and I and I think that you know there's there's easily you know twenty something teams that some they're talking about the bullpen need. Um, so I think that teams are always trying to poke holes, and 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 internally you're doing the same thing, which is what you should do. Um, but I think right now we're always looking to get better. But these are our guys right now, and obviously when you're talking about the postseason. Obviously, there's going to be less starters used, and so we have guys that potentially could go in the bullpen. So internally, I, I do like our options, um, but we're always looking outside as well to, to uh, you know, to make our club better. So I try not to let that bleed too much into our into our guys' heads because um, it's just not helpful. Yeah. But um, they've had some good runs right now. Actually, Gwen, I think that in, in June. We've been one of the top bullpens uh, in the National League, so yeah. um, we're trending in the right direction. Last night on the broadcast, we have the Mets in town uh, playing against the Phillies, and and the Dodgers came up, and we were talking about uh, we were talking about just how good the lineup is. And I said, lineup? I said, yeah, we know these guys can rake. I said, but well, how about their starting pitching? I'm going to put you on the spot. It's Game One of the World Series. You, who are you going with? Are you going Uh-oh. with Ryu or Bueller? Um, you know what? And uh, we'll see. We have a long way to go, uh, Benny. I, I appreciate the question, but I'm not going there. <laughs> yeah, especially because you didn't even mention Clayton Kershaw there, and I'm sure he would that's have. Right. Uh... I am not going there. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah, I forgot about him. I want to ask you a little bit about the, the, the situation that happened with uh, between Max Muncy and, and Madison Bumgarner, you guys, uh, you guys, that had some legs to it because it happened in San Francisco. You guys played them two series later, and then the T-shirts are coming out. Then you had uh, the the PA getting involved a little bit with the music in the background. All in fun was was it taken that way on the field? Um, well, I, I think from our side it was, um, <laughs> and I think that initially when um, I don't think Max did anything to warrant. The barking from from uh, no, from absolutely not. And um, so the way he responded, I had no problem. And I think that, and like I even said, I think that you know, Bum is a great, great competitor. I think that he he did that to spark his club, which I got no problem with. I think that Max handled it perfectly. And then you know, you get these t. Then afterwards, I think everything was said the right way. Um, then the t-shirts come out, and I think that. We just kind of took it at face value and, and wanted to have fun. And I think that right now, guys, if you look around baseball, it is about the fans and uh, it is about people uh, watching our game that we love. Yeah. Um, is it the game that we first knew? Uh, no. As, as the game has changed and the, and the fans, uh, the demographic has changed. But I think that if interest to the game um, – increases that's a good thing for all of us and i think that we just gotta all have thicker skin um and it's kind of like let the kids play type thing where um it's not where where we came up and um it's not all bad because uh i just think going forward we gotta let guys be themselves so we didn't take it too seriously um um, that's just kind of my long-winded answer on that one you know as a manager you always want to put your team in the best position to win and as a starting pitcher you always want to put your team in the best position to win. You have Walker Buehler, who's a young, younger kid, came out of Vanderbilt, first-round draft pick. You watch him continue to grow and mature and, and get better each start. Where do you think that the ceiling is for this kid? Um, I, I think the ceiling is whatever uh, we can put on it. I mean, I don't think there really is a ceiling, honestly. is um, I just stood in on a pen yesterday, Ben, and uh, you would have been pretty impressed catching him. It's just the fastball length, the command. 
um, the stuff that he has and, you know, not just to, to hit 99, 100 on the gun, but to expect command, glove side yeah. command. Yeah. And to be able to change eye level and to mix in that slower breaking ball to go off the cutter and then the forcing fastball, it's special. And he repeats his deliveries athletic, a lot stronger than, than uh, he might look. And the confidence um, is like is unprecedented, really. So he's got a lot of good ingredients, and he's learning from one of the best of the best pitch of our generation, Clayton Kershaw, as far as you know, in between starts and how to prepare and all that kind of stuff. So that only helps him. So um, no ceiling for him. Dave Roberts joins us on Big Time Baseball Players Edition, presented by Radio.com Sports. Something caught my eye: Kenley Jansen. He, he that radar gun was was running up 93 94 95 hadn't seen that from a, for a while from from Kenley uh return what's the with the resurgence of the velocity was it just a day he was feeling good or have you seen this starting to build over the season I, I think it's starting to build over the season and and Kenley um big bodied guy so just to sync that up that delivery um I, I really equate all of it that loss of velocity for a little bit in the delivery and uh, the arm strength is still there. So that just showed. And, you know, you can look at the gun and, and those, um, but also, which is even more telling, are the swings that, that those guys are taking. Yeah. So that, for me, I really enjoyed. And to their credit, those guys over there, they put some good at-bats together. And for me, and, and like you said, Gwenny, the encouraging thing is the way he was throwing the baseball. Well, Dave, we certainly uh, appreciate your time. I mean, good luck the rest of the way as you get closer to the break, and uh, you and I will catch up soon for sure. All right, guys. Thanks. Thanks for listening to Radio.com Sports Big Time Baseball Players Edition, presented by Radio.com Sports. You can subscribe to shows on iTunes or wherever you download your podcasts. You can also find it on Twitter at RDC Sports. Until next time, I'm Ben Davis alongside Tony Gwynn Jr. This has been a presentation of Radio.com Sports. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road, the steeper the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.